Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. This week, we're in Psalm 10, but before we get started, how's your week been? There's been a lot going on for us this week. Uh, The Lord's blessed us with being able to move, and we're excited actually to be closer to church, family, work, all in one move. Uh, This will actually be the 30th move of my life, uh, the 11th move of my married life, so we kind of have it down to a science. And I do believe it's important if you're able to live in the same community as your church is in. It's much easier for you to reach out in your neighborhood, invite people to church without having to tell them that they'll have to, you know, drive 30 minutes to get there. Uh, The unchurched, they'll find any reason they can not to visit a church. So being able to invite them to a less than 10 minute drive usually at least takes away one excuse. I can't say we've always lived in the same community we've attended church in, but we have endeavored to make it into that community if the opportunity arose. I really don't have an excellent segue into our passage this week. David has scathing condemnation, condemnations for the wicked in Psalm 10. But there seems to not be a lot of hope in this chapter, but if we dig... If we allow the Holy Spirit to just lead us to some apparent truths in the text, I think we'll certainly be able to see some hope there. So Psalm 10, beginning in verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in the times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they've imagined. For the the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in his th- all is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. And his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places does he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth them into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. 
and thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. You know, at first glance, when I started studying this psalm, I heard like these really strong echoes of Psalm 73. Oh, we're not even halfway to that psalm yet, but it is by far my favorite. And it does bear some similarity to this psalm as it poses a similar question. Lord, why aren't you doing anything about the wicked people of this earth? I can't tell you how many times I've heard both Christian and unbeliever utter these words. Why isn't the Lord doing something about all these corrupt politicians? Why would the Lord allow this law to pass or that law to pass? Why would God let this horrific thing that just happened happen? If God is love, why would he let children die in, the, in this tragedy or that tragedy? Is that how we want God to work? See, we want free will, but we want our free will and not everyone else to have free will sometimes. If God stops someone from killing someone or a group of people, if God stops every evil deed that people do, he would be limiting free will. Now, the logical extension of that means that if he limited any free will, he should limit all free will, including yours, including mine. Why is he hiding in times of trouble? Well, he's not hiding. He's being a God who loves us so much that he gave us free will. Now, there's no doubt he weeps as Jesus did at the unbelief of the cities and peoples and the state of the world as it is. But as God, he cannot limit free will. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. He could, but he won't. Choosing him has to be a choice or else salvation is not grace and it's not mercy. But because he's full of grace and mercy, to limit our free will would be a violation of who he is, which is why he won't. He's not hiding. He's God. God hides from no one. This hiding can also be in a sense of like turning a blind eye to. And we have to be careful here too. He sees all things. These are transgressions that are being added to the account of the wicked, adding to the quote-unquote rap sheet of their lives. David says that these wicked people, they persecute the poor. Now, full transparency, I was tempted to get really, really political here and then realize that that wouldn't provide any spiritual benefit to anyone, and no one's tuning into this to listen to me rant. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we apply this to the world around us? The wicked persecute the poor. And I realize this isn't just a monetary distinction. They persecute the poor in heart, the poor in spirit, the poor in foundation, the poor in morality. They persecute by enabling and redefining, creating confusion in what should be easily grasped and easily defined. The wicked take a searching heart and they twist reality to say, well, the only hope is to define yourself in a way that feels right in the moment. 
If your feelings change, well, just change your definition again. And this leaves us with an unmoored society driven by every whim of thought and desire of the very, very wicked heart of man. When our society misses out on the riches of living in sync with the masterful creator, we have indeed become poor in foundation, poor in morality. And do the wicked prey on this? Do they persecute those that already have an inherent deficiency when it comes to the richness of the only truth that will set them free? In every way they persecute. They persecute by promoting slavery to sin. They persecute by selling the ideals of a fallen world as the only solution to every problem. And the religions of the world are just as wicked, and they persecute just as severely, if not more so. Achieve the path to enlightenment and you won't feel so poor. Check the boxes on all seven sacraments and you'll no longer be poor. Yield every portion of your will to Allah and live by the strictest tenets of Islam and you'll no longer be poor. Pray to thousands of gods and seek to please them in your, in your life. Sacrifice to them in your life and you'll no longer be poor. As Christians, the only truth we preach is that Christ can set you free. Now, salvation will not set you free from poverty, but it will set you free from doubt. It will give you hope. Christ said that we'll always have the poor with us. So because of that, we shouldn't be seeking to eradicate poverty. We should be seeking to reach out and share the gospel with those in poverty. While the gospel and the love of Christ, which brings inclusion in the family of God, will not make one monetarily rich, the blessings of being in the family and part of a community of believers is life-changing and provides the spiritual and emotional tools that we need to deal with an impoverished life. Robbing those that are poor in foundation, morality, spirituality, and hope is, in my mind, one of the worst atrocities the wicked use to persecute those that fall into those categories. You know, like David, I have to say that those that propagate and prey on these should be taken in the devices that they have imagined. As they promote the spiritual bankruptcy of a generation, let their lives be just as bankrupt, and may they find no joy or fulfillment in their own propaganda. Sadly, I, I also know, like David, that they won't feel that way for the most part. They'll boast at what they've done. Oh, look at how I've helped society Look at how we've changed things and made everyone feel better. Look at how we've enriched the lives of people and enabled their journey of self-discovery. Oh, this is exactly what we wanted. Look at all we've accomplished. And then they build up and applaud those that build an empire on the backs of those that they've hoodwinked. Oh, look at so-and-so and how they've helped so many people. These people just want to make millions they want the money of the poor. Look, out, look, alcohol can make you feel better and help you deal with your problems. Oh, you need this anxiety drug and this prescribed upper and this antidepressant to function with hope in this world. 
And listen, I'm not saying that people don't suffer from chemical imbalances and need those medications for the sake of their help, health. That's not the type of person I'm talking about. These wicked people that are covetous, they prey on every weakness of what we've seen are the poor and covet every penny, every idea, every desire that these people have. To take advantage of our fellow man, of one who is made and fashioned in the image of an almighty God, the same God they've been made in the image in abhors the people who do this and take advantage of those types of people. He despises them. They've made themselves his enemies and he will deal with them accordingly. And in their pride, they have no concern for what it may mean. In their mind, they're doing what seems right to them, so they have no need of God. And why would they seek after him? They are doing just fine on their own. So there must not be a God. After all, if there were, wouldn't he stop them, change them? It gets to a point where they don't even think about him. Then all the people they've influenced, that they've sold their lies to, that they've fed their humanistic religion to, they're just as wicked. God isn't in their thoughts at all. Oh, we're just evolved from a microbe. Nature can get it wrong. Choosing what I identify as is just me correcting nature. Oh, my addictions come from a genetic predisposition, so why not give in to them? Well, I'm the victim of my upbringing or circumstance. I'm what society's made me. I, I am exactly as my nature or my nurture has dictated I become. There's no God in these thoughts. There's no reliance on a creator. Indeed, they've made it so that they perceive no need for a creator at all. They can sustain they can provide. They're the masters of their own fate, and they can buy, sell, covet, and acquire at will and at their leisure. Uh, do we find ourselves in the thoughts of the wicked? Do we boast of our desires? Well, not that it's wrong to have desires, but in boasting of the desires we have, whether it's with a Christian goal or not, do we boast of them, absent of painting them in the light of being blessings from God? There are God-ordained and God-given desires that the Christian has and strives after. But in the striving, do we boast that we have those desires as self-appreciation? Are we marketing ourselves? Are we glorifying God? I mean, do we sometimes look like the covetous that the wicked want to bless? Are we savage in the workplace because we covet more pay and more authority and the wicked applaud our tenacity and drive? Is this the type of recognition that we want as Christians? While David paints us a picture of the wicked, we have to remember that his definitions serve as cautionary for the believers as well. If we find ourselves falling into these mindsets and attitudes, we must run to the Father 
to be reconciled because in finding ourselves in these wicked desires, we have most certainly broken our fellowship with him. And David goes on to say the wicked's ways are always grievous. Their actions and desires serve no higher purpose but their own. And in the end, what will they show for it in eternity? The blood of Christ will not be their portion, their salvation. And as Solomon describes in Ecclesiastic, they grasp at nothing but a fistful of air. They can't see the judgment of God on the horizon because they're too focused on their immediate self. They're blinded by their own delusions of grandeur as they allow their own desires and their will to govern every facet of their lives. But here again, I have to stop and caution that we not wag a finger too hastily at them before we stop and examine ourselves and see if there's any evidence of this in our lives. Do we allow our self-made plans to cloud the will of God in our lives? Do we miss his gentle guidance and how he corrects us with his word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because we're just too caught up in our lives? Getting back to the wicked, when anyone opposes them, the Bible says the wicked puffs at them. This is like a snort of dismissal that's described here. Like, pfft, whatever. In our current world culture, we can find this to be very evident. As the sexual revolution and the self-defining rhetoric seems to gobble up our culture like a virus spreading to kill every healthy cell, it seems that every opposition to the causes that seem to fly under every single banner of acceptance and cultural progressivism is laughed at, snorted at, and, I mean, at times even jeered at. And we have right on our side is the cry that we hear, yet we know all the wicked has as their ally is a majority, not right. Nature itself contradicts what they believe to be right, and logic dictates that the opposite of right is wrong. But as an infamous dictator once wrote, that in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. While his writings were addressed in the wrong direction, there is unfortunate credibility to the statement nonetheless. The appeal of how people feel and their emotions and how their emotions will cloud their judgment, allowing them to believe a lie of great enough proportion that it can move society. The wicked, and I'll, I'll say our current culture, say, nah, we'll never be moved. We can't be unseated. The changes we make are necessary. They're progress. No one can stand against this wave of self-defining progress. Well, who will stand against them? Is it the Christian's role to change the narrative to vote better officials into office? Is it our role to overthrow the governments and set up a new one that's more to our liking? 
Now, the wicked say they'll never have adversaries strong enough for them to care about. That their way of thinking, their way of life, their definitions, those make the most sense. So who could oppose them? How can they be wrong? And who says they've lost their grip on reality? They vilify those that would oppose them, counter-preach to their ineffectiveness in past times. They spout lies, they make up fake medical terms and call the unborn child a fetus, a growth. It's easy to argue a termination of pregnancy if you don't define it as murder. So they turn a phrase, they soften a word, they redefine words, they reappropriate banners. And this psalm is so relevant today. Psalm 10 is so relevant in this culture. And how marvelous is the word of God that it's applicable to all ages of man. David speaks of their tongue hiding the vanity of their speech and how we've allowed our culture to be turned by the loudest dissenters until they rally the same culture to their side. And the Christian, those of biblical values, they become the dissenters. And the wicked speak of vain and empty things that have no substance. Live for yourself is their cry. To what end? What type of satisfaction comes from that? To be sure, living for yourself has its appeal in the moment. But when the lights are down and they're alone in a dark place, what thoughts come to mind? Or this is an even scarier thought. When they're alone in that same dark place, has their conscience become so seared that it doesn't bother them and they have no thought about it at all? And then poof, gone like a vapor, the life they lived in vain. No second chance at securing eternity. And as the preacher of Ecclesiastes said, vanity, vanity. But man, how misery loves her company. The wicked sit lurking in the village. Where they were once in the shadows, they now lurk openly. While they lurk and prowl openly, it's in the secret places they murder the innocent. It's in the secret of anonymity on the internet that they kill the innocents. As they rob our young men and women of their innocence through pornography... For that matter, our old men and women can fall to the same horrible vice. They promote their covetous lifestyles on social media. You know, what was intended to be a social platform for people to interact has become a, well, look how much better my life is than yours on every platform. So we allow our young people to sacrifice their innocence to the covetousness that's propagated by social media. But let me pause here for a second. I don't want people to think I'm condemning social media or the internet. Both really are exceptional tools in the right hands and have opened up so many avenues for modern evangelism. And they've also connected people, people like never before. Our pastor would say that like social media and the internet, these things are amoral. From a morality standpoint, they are neither good or bad. But when we allow them to control our thoughts and dictate to us a life of comparison, they're bad. 
Or we could use them to find the next sexual fix we need or purchasing fix we need. Yes, your full Amazon cart can also be a covetousness problem. And then we've made those things our idol. And it's here the wicked prey again on the poor, the poorly guarded, those that are poorly stewarded by their parents, those that poorly steward themselves. And beware of the traps that are so easy to fall into. And when Dave, while David speaks of the wicked here toward in this next piece, I'll speak directly of the wicked one himself, Satan, who is described to us as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, who desires to sift us like wheat. He waits. His minions lurk around every corner. And they know our easy sins. Those sins, you know, that we find so easy to fall into because it, they've been a habit for us. The minions of the devil sit and wait and they use the wicked to catch the poor in standards. Those whose lives are not enriched by someone who really loves them. Those who are poor in acceptance, in relationship. Those who are poor because they have no friends. And Christian, I'll tell you right now, if we don't make it our mission to reach out to these that are poor in these things, they will be caught by a culture and a society that wants to gobble them up. Do we want to change our political landscape? It may sound a little pithy, but each one reach one, and change your community with the gospel, change your city with the gospel, change your state with the gospel, and you'll find that you've changed your country with the gospel. I'll tell you, we don't need better politicians. We need better and bolder Christians. We need to push back against the wave. The gates of hell will not prevail against us, Prevail here, that's a defensive word. Like the gates of hell are on defense and they'll not prevail against our attack. They will not stand against our attack. But we have to get on the defensive and we have to get out of the defensive mode. Just share the gospel and let the gospel change lives and be the hope for the poor in spirit. Lest we hear the refrain, if there's a God, he can't care about what's going on down here. He's just hiding his face from us because he doesn't, he doesn't care. If we serve a God that will arise from his throne one day and meet out judgment. But perhaps the call here is for the Lord to arise in us and make us bold to take the gospel beyond our own church doors. If we're the body, should not God raise us as hands and use us to ensure that the broken and the confused, the humble, will not be forgotten and left to a culture that only wants to strip them from every ounce of hope? And how dare the wicked condemn God for not caring? Well, maybe it's because as Christians, we haven't cared enough and that's their perception of the God we serve. And it's really of their God too, as he's not just our God, 
He's their God. They just don't know it yet. They don't even think God's going to inquire about what they've been doing to his image bearers and to themselves. Well, God hasn't stopped me yet. Well, and he won't. Free will and all. However, David knew as we do that God sees it all. He sees their deception. The effect their lives have their lies have on lives and how they hate the image of God in others, so they seek to destroy that image. You know, this is the real issue with our culture. They've come to hate God so much that they can't stand to be reminded of him in themselves or in anyone else. So, of course, we can redefine ourselves and mutilate ourselves and mar the perfect image of an almighty creator in how we remove him and make sure everyone sees more us. Our God will require an answer. If not in this life, their last breath will reveal the air of their ways and an eternal separation from the God who defined them will be their reward. The poor, the downtrodden, the manipulated, the deceived of this world, leading them into deception is not forgotten. It'll be required of the wicked. The unborn child who never got to be a son or daughter to a father rests in the arms of a heavenly father, and he's not forgotten those that murdered that child. Break more than their arm, Lord. But the picture here is to break the arm of their influence. Remove their insidious creeping and seeping into every facet of our society until there's no wickedness left. While we'll never see it this side of the tribulation, it is a predetermined, definitive truth that this will one day be reality. And how our hearts yearn for it now. How we hate to see every heart led astray by the lies of the devil himself as he manipulates the ever-changing narrative that says to our culture, yes, mar the image of the Almighty. Bring his wrath upon you because I know he will bring his wrath upon me. The devil doesn't want to go through the shame of defeat alone. And as I look at the last three verses, David's so prophetic here as he speaks of a kingdom in which the high king of heaven rules in a kingdom where all of the heathen have perished or been removed from the land. The king who heard the cry of the humble, the innocent, the poor in spirit who turned to him, he's prepared their hearts in this life to be fit for living in his kingdom in eternity. And as we align our desires with his, we long even more for the kingdom where the wicked have no hold, where Satan has been defeated once and for all. Then the cry of the believer, even so come Lord Jesus. Our Lord has inclined his ear to hear because the last soul has been saved and it's time to count the righteous of the fatherless and the righteousness of the fatherless and the oppressed who have come to him. And then, then 
Then, fellow Christian, the men of earth will no longer oppress. The poor in spirit will no longer be deceived. He'll reign in a society full of bearers of his own image, and that image will never again be marred by the wickedness of sin. We'll be in the light of his own image, his personal, real, right next to us image that will be an image for us no more, but a reality as he takes us by the hand and walks with us a little while. You know, these walks we take every week as he leads us in his word are just a foreshadowing of that day when we get eternity to learn new things about him, to walk with him forever and ever be in his presence. Until then, combat the wicked with the gospel and watch lives change. Thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.